0: This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one hour talk show confronting the issues
1: of America's heart and home. And now, with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer.
0: The year was 2009. I have in my hands the announcement that came the coming evangelical collapse. An anti-Christian chapter in Western history is about to begin, said the writer, and we're on the verge within 10 years of a major collapse of evangelical Christianity, and the breakdown will follow the deterioration of the mainline Protestant world and will fundamentally alter the religious and cultural environment in the West. In the Protestant 20th century, evangelicals flourish, but they will soon be living in a very secular and religiously antagonistic 21st century and this collapse will herald the arrival of an anti-Christian chapter of the post-Christian West. Intolerance of Christianity will rise to levels many of us have not believed possible in our lifetimes. Public policy will become hostile toward evangelical Christianity, seeing it is as the opponent, the opponent of the common good, and millions of evangelicals will quit. Thousands of ministries will end, Christian media will be reduced, if not eliminated, and many Christian schools will go into rapid decline. The end of evangelicals, as we know it, is very close. That's the article that came out from the Christian Science Monitor, Monitor, my friends. Believe it or not, but that was not alone. The very same year came this article. Leaders of the emergent church movement within evangelical Christianity are observing the Muslim month of Ramadan. Mm Mm-hmm. The Muslim month of Ramadan. Then, two years later, came this headline from the Associated Press. A Duke professor, Americans' religious faith is waning. Despite the prominence of religious believers in politics and culture, America has shrinking congregations, growing dissatisfaction with religious leaders and more people who do not think about faith, according to the new study by a Duke University expert. In American religion, contemporary trends, author Mark Chavez argued that over the last generation or so, religious belief in the U.S. has experienced a softening that affects everything from whether people go to worship services regularly to whom they marry, and I would add, or not. Signs of religious vitality may be camouflaging stagnation or decline. Those are the headlines from 2009 and 2011. Here we are in 2023, halfway through, and the Promise Keepers. The organization that called on men to live biblical lives has been rejected by a Christian college because of its position on marriage. Men, The men's group is holding a series of events this year across America, and one was to be at Belmont University, by the way, in Nashville, where one of my nieces actually got her music degree. But the school, which claims to be Christian, abruptly canceled the event by the Promise Keeper, citing a conflict in values. The Promise Keepers events are called daring faith. And the problem apparently erupted when the organization offered guidance to men on how to respond to the current gender ideology being pushed by the Biden administration, schools, unions and other extreme leftists. It bluntly said, we will not stand on the sidelines and remain quiet as fathers, husbands, grandfathers and young men. We see the dangers of gender ideology and the harm it causes. So we affirm that God made human beings in his image to reflect him. He created male and female with equal worth and dignity, and there was no mistake in that design. So the question, is Belmont University a Christian college if it doesn't defend the biblical standard of creation and marriage? Well, that's where we are, friends, here on Viewpoint today as we launch into the deep with a longtime friend personal friend and ministry brother, uh, Dr. Michael Brown, who is joining us with his book, Why So Many Christians Have Left the Faith. Why So Many Christians Have Left the Faith. Michael, it's so good to have you on the program, friend. I'll tell you, these articles should uh, set the stage in mega proportions for our conversation.
2: Oh, yeah, that was a tremendous selection you read. Very stirring, very eye-opening and very much a reminder of why we've been shouting from the rooftops for so many years.
0: Yeah, well, that's the reason why I believe that the Lord spoke to my heart there in my law office in 1992, saying, son, you've been pleading the cause of men long enough. I want you to plead my cause of the land as a voice to the church, declaring vision for the nation, America's greatest crisis hour. I said, yes, sir, we formed Save America Ministries, sold everything, left to the birthplace of America, and that's where we launched this program 28 years ago.
2: Yeah. Look, the fact is, when God laid it on my heart almost 20 years ago to begin addressing cultural issues that I had not focused on before, because I've been preaching since 1973,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: and I thought, well, why me? This is not really relevant to my life. It's not my own background. Right. I realized very quickly, Chuck, that this was going to affect everybody. No one got to sit this battle out. And, of course, as we began talking almost 20 years ago, about certain changes in the culture, would be the principal threat to freedom of religion, speech, and conscience. And people said, you know, why are you wasting your time on this? That's such a fringe issue. Now everybody's dealing with this day and night. Of course, the positive is that there's a pushback. That for many years I've known that things would go in the direction they're going, but I also knew that there'd be a pushback. And there are many articles being written now, even in secular publications, about this Pride Month is different than previous Pride Months, and more and more groups rising up and saying enough is enough. And we didn't sign up for this. And, and on and on it goes. But it is a crisis time. Uh, people uh, have dropped out in the faith. The, the, those who identify as nuns, N-O-N-E-S, with no religious affiliation, that's rapidly growing in America. That's now a, a substantial portion of the population.
3: Mm-hmm. Those
2: professing to be Christian in the last decade, uh, those numbers have dropped by about uh, 10%, from about 85% to 75%. So these are substantial changes. And folks estimate that in another generation, uh, well, even even now, a majority of Americans are not regular church attenders.
0: Well, I know that in your book you indicate that you're not uh, totally convinced that this is the great falling away that uh, the Apostle Paul warned of. I happen to think it is. I happen to think that it's right on the cusp of the great falling away and is a manifestation of what that looks like, and we just haven't received the fullness of it yet.
2: Well, it's, it's it's certainly possible. The problem is that around the world, the gospel is growing in leaps and bounds, and and that the numbers of people coming to faith in Africa and in Asia and Latin America are unprecedented. The numbers of people coming to faith in, in, in the Middle East, in, in Iran, in the Muslim world are unprecedented. So there's a massive harvest as, mm-hmm. as well. The apostasy that we're seeing in America, the apostasy we're seeing in Europe, is very severe. And it's more severe than anything I've seen in 51 years in the Lord. Sure. But but either either way, it's a car wreck needing attention. Because James (laughs) 5 tells us, if you see your brother turn away from the faith, bring him back. So regardless of whether it's the final one, it's certainly a very serious one. Right. The question is, how do we respond? What do we do? Because it is a, a, a very intense time when Jesus says in Matthew 24, called because iniquity will abound the love of many will wax cold well that's there's a there there's availability of sin there are things that are fingertips that no generation in world history has ever had access to there needs to be a greater vigilance than we've ever had before so we are in a critical time no matter how you slice the cake
0: that is absolutely true we're going to get back with uh, dr brown in just a few moments his book why so many christians have left the faith And uh, I think it's going to be eye-opening to you, friend, maybe heart-opening as well. Uh, $20, we'll put it in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. I hope you get a copy of it. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chrismeyer, friends. And as we've said all day after day after day for 28 years, our viewpoint determines destiny. We're cons- we can see that happening. It's manifested in the statistics. It's manifested in the observations being made not just by Christians but by secular forces, secular observers. And uh, this is where we are today. It is a crisis moment. I hate to use the word crisis because it's become so uh, common to call everything a crisis, but we are in that time. We are in a time that uh, certainly resembles uh, the pattern that the Apostle Paul talked about of a great falling away or apostasy before uh, the manifestation of the counterfeit Christ uh, comes through. We began by looking today at 2009, so a series of articles that came out and here is another one. This came from George Barna, who is the, has been for many, many years a pollster to the church. And here is the subject, 2009. Christianity is no longer America's default faith. That's the headline. That was 13 years ago. 14 years ago. Fifty percent of the adults interviewed agreed that Christianity is no longer the faith that Americans automatically accept as their personal faith. Two-thirds of evangelical Christians at that time, 13 years ago, and three out of every five Hispanics, embraced that position. Residents of the Northeast and West were much more likely than those from the South and Midwest to assert that Christianity has lost its place as the first faith option people consider. Wow. Wow. Michael, I tell you, uh, this is not a new development. We've been watching the trajectory of this uh, for a very long period of time. Uh, you have joined me on this program many times over the years to talk about uh, the various aspects or manifestations of this. But uh, here it is. It's slapping us in the faith. And uh, uh, the the interesting thing is that people... This idea of truth, that there is a truth, that there's an absolute truth, that the Bible represents and expresses that truth, has basically gone away. How is that possible?
2: Yeah, well, there there's so many things that play into that, Chuck. I I remember Francis Schaeffer, Chuck Colson, Mm -hmm. decades ago, uh, uh, talking about America being post-Christian. Right. And uh, I, I've seen comments from Schaefer in 1968 observing how, say, homosexual activism, this is before Stonewall, would go the way of basically denying gender realities. You know, so the, the handwriting's been on the wall for some time. Part of the problem is we've just assumed Christianity. We've just mm-hmm. assumed the truth of the Bible. And as, say, the, the books of the New Atheist became very popular beginning about 15, 16 years ago, mm-hmm. I devote a chapter of, of my new book to that subject. How the the objections of the, the atheist and the agnostic scholars kind of trickle down to the general public. Uh, Josh McDowell has said that the objections he used to run into with kids on college campuses, he now runs into uh, with kids who are 12 and 13. Junior high and they school. They don't have the ability to process things. So the Bible is now a bad book. The God of the Bible is a bad God. One of the chapters in my book is called "If Christianity, excuse me, if if gay is good, then the church is bad," Mm -hmm. because the the societal shift has been such that it's only the bigots and the homophobes and the haters who hold to certain mindsets. Uh, Daryl Bach, my friend, Professor Daryl Bach, says that we used to be able to say it's true because it's in the Bible. Now we have to tell people it's in the Bible because it's true. So for whatever reason. Our failure to adequately disciple the the next generations, our getting away from preaching strong biblical truths, our failing to ground people in the defense of the faith, our failing to do a better job discipling our children than the world and social media do mm-hmm. of discipling our children—it's—it's it's a perfect storm, a bunch of things coming together at once, and in many ways the church wasn't ready for it. Our, our or reticence or even refusal to address controversial social, moral, and cultural issues so that the world is going to educate uh, our people rather than the leaders educating them. And then just so much sin available. Just, you know, take porn, for example, You're available in a ubiquitous way that's never been the case
3: before mm-hmm. in human
2: history It it, it hardens hearts, it dulls minds. And 70% of Christian men,
0: 70% of Christian men admit to being involved in it. 30-some percent of Christian pastors admit to being involved, and about 34% of Christian women admit to seeking out porn. What do you make of it?
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, these are staggering numbers, but it's not a surprise. Because we've never had temptation available like this. Look. When I got set free from from doing drugs, shooting drugs, and other things, when I came to faith in 1971 at the age of 16, well, that was it. I walked away from it. I didn't hang out with those people anymore. Mm -hmm. And in order to get high, I'd have to go to a certain place or buy drugs or be with certain people. Mm
3: -hmm. I was out
2: of that environment, right? You know, you used to be an alcoholic. You quit going to the bar. But now, right on your cell phone, an 8-year-old kid could just type something in, not even knowing what they're typing and their video content, or live chat rooms, or whoever else knows what's in there. And, and these things are now available to many people who have not been spiritually grounded, yeah. not taught to be spiritually vigilant, not learned principles of holiness, maybe came to faith through a, a subpar gospel that emphasized all the good things that could happen to them. They were never really called to take up their cross Boy, it's, it's it's tough. It's tough for people who are strong and vigilant.
0: Well, one of the See premier holiness have... denominations in the country, going all the way back into the end of the 1800s, uh, that was renowned. My father, actually, was a pastor, graduated from their seminary and so on, and I grew up in that congregation or in that uh, denomination. But it has gone so woke now that uh, even... Such a gentleman as Dr. James Dobson, who was a dyed-in-the-wool guy of that denomination, told me just a few weeks ago that he has not been able to be involved in that denomination for a number of years because they have completely gone off the rails biblically.
2: Yeah, so here's the deal. The rain is pouring like it's never poured before in world history. Even just because of things being available through Internet, so objections to the faith, attacks on the faith, mocking of the gospel, information from other religions, cults, added into that the availability of sin, added into that all the distractions, the mm-hmm. endless things that can pull our attention. The rain is pouring, and either we don't have an umbrella up, or we've got an umbrella up full of holes, and we're wondering <laughs> why we're getting so wet. Okay, well, let's mystery. talk about
0: that. We need to talk about that, and I want to take us back. Uh, before you became a believer, you became a believer in 1971. I became a believer when I was five in 1950. So did my wife. So I grew up in the church in a very, a variety of different denominations from coast to coast. I've experienced the church from like the back of my hand. That's just how, how much I know and understand from coast to coast where that is. In the 1960s, my wife and I got married in 1966, and at right about that time, not only was the Vietnam War taking getting ready to take place, but also the sexual revolution and a massive rebellion against all authority in the entire Western world. Well, out of that came a bill in 1968 in California by the then Governor Ronald Reagan, It was called the No Fault Divorce Act. Mm -hmm. Ronald Reagan since said it was the worst thing he ever did. Yep. But here's what happened. And I watched this trajectory from coast to coast. I was up to my eyeballs in it, Mike, because uh, I was a, a practicing lawyer as a Christian during those years that we're following. I was in the largest family law court in the nation, the Los Angeles Superior Court System. Eighty percent of my clients came for the broader body of Christ. And here's what happened. Starting with the early 1970s, when you became a Christian, the God is Love movement began to sweep through the church, rejecting the God of truth and justice and judgment. That was all the preaching. God is love. God is love, that combined with the sexual revolution and the inauguration of no-fault divorce capitulated the church into the divorce culture. The church became the leader in the breakdown of the family because it was supported by the pastors in the name of Christ. By the time the 70s had finished, that had metastasized into a serial adult adultery culture, remarriage after divorce when your spouse was still living. By the mid-1980s, that was so heavily ensconced in the church that we had embraced from coast to coast, from pulpit to pew, had embraced the authority, supposed authority, that God wants me to happy more than he wants me holy, and the pastors became complicit in the breakdown of the family, the breakdown of the authority of God's word, on an issue that God said was so fundamental that from the beginning of the book to the end of the book, he frames the entire gospel message around marriage. That was attacked. The very thing that God says I hate, we said No, we disagree with God in his, in Christ's name. That's where the homosexual movement was launched. That's where the transgender movement ultimately has been launched. It began with the church inaugurating what God said he hates.
2: Well, you know, I've said for many years that no-fault divorce in the church has done more to undermine marriage than all gay activists combined. Yep. You're right. And it's it, obviously the epidemic levels. Uh, you know, there are people listening that, that have gone through divorce and feel condemned, and they fought for their marriage and did what they knew how to do. And we want to be here as a church and, 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 and give hope and grace and redemption in the midst of the pain and, and take the condemnation off. You know, there, there is hope for someone who's been divorced, and God can work in that person's life.
0: But the question is, where is that hope? What is that hope? And it's been redefined by pastors contrary to the word of God. And that's where we have began the undermining of the authority of the word of God and have devolved, uh, as the famous uh, Democratic senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan once said, we have devolved deviancy downward."
2: Yeah, well, there's, there's no question about the slope and, and the slipperiness of it. And you could even look at larger issues. You know, 1960, the birth control pill was introduced. There was a lot of fanfare with it. Right. But now, ladies could sleep around more, have more control over what happened to their bodies, don't have to rely on, on the guy using birth control. And now you have sex for recreation, not so much for procreation. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, you have that separation there in in an unhealthy way, just various societal factors. But what happened is, instead of the church changing the world, the world changed the church.
0: Exactly. that's,
2: That's the great tragedy we live with to this day.
0: So we were more interested in evangelism than we were in discipleship. Unfortunately, the Great Commission's focus is not on evangelism. It's on discipleship, teaching people to obey everything that God has commanded. We dismiss that. Entire denominations have dismissed that. And it became an embarrassment uh, to the church. But we haven't been willing to do much about it because that's perceived as legalism. Speak to that.
2: Yeah, well, that's. That's something that happens often in church history, that you will see an extreme grace movement, uh, I call it hyper-grace today, Mm -hmm. that says that any preaching of holiness is legalism. Any calling to a standard is legalism. And and it it responds with this radical grace that goes beyond what Scripture teaches. It is hyper-grace. It is above and beyond what the Word teaches. And Paul writes in Romans 11 that we should behold both the severity and the kindness of God. Not only his severity, not only his kindness, but both. He also when says the it's the of kindness the
0: Lord... of God that leads us to repentance.
2: Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. When the fear of the Lord is abandoned. When when God is just our big buddy who's there to give us a happy life, things are fundamentally and terribly off track. And listen, the, the, the thing that drives me the most to live a holy life is I love God
3: Mm -hmm. and I want
2: to please Him and honor Him and I also know that sin is destructive in my own life but with that love for God is a healthy fear of the Lord and of a recognition of the destructive effects that sin can have in our lives look I might not believe that eating Oreo cookies for breakfast and brownies for lunch and chocolate <laughs> and milkshake for dinner will hurt me, but they will. But they will. They will. We'll will. talk more about it's that when reality. we
0: get back. You have just dropped a bomb on us here, and we need to open that up when we get back. Stay tuned, friends. This is Viewpoint.
1: There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the Marriage section.
0: Welcome back to Viewpoint, friends. It's such a delight to be able to join you here day after day after day to confront the deepest issues of our hearts and homes from God's eternal perspective. We're doing that here today with our friend uh, Dr. Michael Brown. And uh, he came to Christ as a a uh, (laughs) drug-saturated Jewish man back in 1971, and God redeemed him in a mighty, mighty way, and he has become a powerful voice for righteousness and for truth uh, in our country and in the church, and it's such a delight to have him here on the program today. His book, Why So Many Christians Have Left the Faith, and uh, it's $20. It's on our website, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255, writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, Michael, when I said that you dropped a bomb on us, you dropped the bomb on us when you mentioned the term, the fear of the Lord. I am convinced that the number one driving force or characteristic of the church's falling away, why Christians have left the faith, Why pastors are not able to do anything about it is because we have, in large measure, abandoned the fear of the Lord, which is the very foundation of wisdom. When you do that, you become God, in effect. You decide what's right. You decide what's authoritative. Then, from there on, nothing in the Bible has absolute sway in your life. You become the final arbiter of truth. Speak to the issue of the fear of the Lord.
2: Yeah, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's a rich theme throughout the entire scripture. Isaiah 33 refers to the fear of the Lord as, as a treasure. Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 10, don't fear those who kill the body but can't kill the soul, rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And when Abraham is, is sojourning in a, a, a nation... And and he doesn't think they have morals. What does he say? You know, I I, I thought, surely there's no fear of God in this place. Mm -hmm. There's no fear of God. You just do whatever you want to do because there are no consequences. Exodus 20, when God comes down on Mount Sinai, it's a striking passage. In Hebrew, it's literally, and Moses tells the people, do not fear. God has come to put his fear before you so you won't sin. Mm -hmm. So don't be terrified. That he's going to wipe you out and destroy you. He he wants to bless you and have you as his covenant people, but you better remember his awesomeness, who he is, so that you don't sin. Deuteronomy four twenty four says that our God is a consuming fire. That is quoted in Hebrews twelve twenty nine. Sure is. So Old Testament, New Testament. Let us seeing that everything's going to be shaken. Let us serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a it consuming is a fire. So mm. I do not live. Fear and terror, like, oh, no, he's going to get me. Oh, I thought a wrong thought. Oh, no, he's going to get me. Oh, I didn't pray enough today. He's going to get me. I live deeply conscious of the love of God. And that perfect love, 1 John 4, drives out fear that is servile fear, that is tormenting and destructive fear. But I absolutely fear the God that I love in a healthy way. I absolutely recognize that you don't mess around with him or play games with him and that he's even set up the universe in such a way that we reap what we sow. Mm. So we think God's not looking, God's not involved, God doesn't care. Paul writes, don't be deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever man sows, he will also reap. So God set things up in such a way that there are consequences for good and bad actions Obviously, if we've blown it, we can come to him in repentance, asking for mercy. We can be born again. We can receive forgiveness of our sins. But there are still consequences. You know, a man who murdered before he was saved and is in jail, life in prison without parole, those are the consequences of his actions. He can be forgiven, have a relationship with God that's beautiful, and go to heaven forever. But there are consequences.
0: Yeah. Just ask Carla Faye Tucker. The axe murderer, she uh, came to Christ and lived a glorious Christian life there in prison, but she had, was under a death sentence, and uh, George W. Bush refused to, refused to commute it. And uh, yeah, so, the, go ahead.
2: Yeah, there, there are consequences. That's the whole thing. There are uh, consequences for our actions, and again, I, I live 24-7 conscious of the love of God, the goodness of God, the kindness of God. I can't believe how merciful and long-suffering he is. Look, he sees all the sin taking place on a planet every day.
0: If it's a wonder saw, we're not we, consumed in a moment.
2: Yeah. We'd wipe out the whole earth overnight (laughs) if we saw one billionth of what God saw, and then he sees our hearts. So all the people, you know, in church services, you know, raising holy hands, he sees those hands aren't so holy. Right. And yet he's still merciful, long-suffering, giving us room to repent. But, Chuck, as you were saying, if we don't have a healthy fear of the Lord, uh, people have gotten so far away from it. You know, maybe they'd grow up in a broken home, and their father was alcoholic, and when they'd see him, they didn't know if he was going to strike them or hug them. And, and they're having a hard time understanding the goodness of God, and when they think of fear, they think of the fear they had for their alcoholic father. No, no, it's not that kind of fear. It's reverential awe. It's recognizing his infinite power and holiness. It's, it's recognizing that you can't run from him, you can't hide from him, you can't trick him, you can't deceive him. You can't out-argue anything. Leonard Ravenhill, he's well, coasted the last five years of his life and he would preach on judgment,
3: okay,
0: mm-hmm. the
2: judgment seat of Christ. He would often emphasized, there's no U-turn on the way there. There's no court <laughs> of appeal. There's no one that can Because he is behalf. the appellate court. <laughs> exactly. He is the judge and he is the jury and he knows everything. Wow. That being the case. And he wants to bless us and he wants to do good to us, and he wants to shower us with his grace forever and ever. How should we live?
0: That's exactly what uh, Francis Schaeffer said uh, way back there in the 70s. How should we then live? Seeing that we see this trajectory of things going on, how should we then live? That's the question that hovers over our minds and our hearts today. Uh, Even as we see people falling away from the faith like flies, uh, that is still the question. Now, I want to bring up, uh, there's, a, there's a wonderful song that we used to sing, Michael, and that is, when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. When we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. So, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. So why is it that the word obey has become the most hated word in the church today, as admitted to by dozens of pastors and parachurch leaders on this program? Yeah,
2: well, somehow it has been cast off in the name of freedom. It has been cast off in the name of I am spiritual, not religious. It has been cast off in the name of Jesus set me free. When I tell people is, he sets us free from sin, not to sin. Mm. There, there are, uh, look, I've talked to worship leaders, and they're, they're weeping, saying, it's unbelievable, we go out, you have after this glorious worship service, mm. and the guys want to hang out in the bar and drink, and they're dropping F-bombs, and you're thinking, how could you possibly have just been connecting with God and leading people into God's presence, and go ahead and do that, man, I'm free. And, and you watch this disaster unfold, you know, one major ministry leader talking about weaknesses in his life, and some, some junk got revealed, and he said, look, I was depressed, I was struggling, he said, I, I resorted to alcohol, he said, alcohol was not my friend, Alcohol is not anybody's friend, mm-hmm. when, you're, when you're looking to it for release, or leaning on it in, in that way, but look, it, it's happened before, it's happening at epidemic level today, people think they've got this relevant way to win people to the Lord, which is basically, we become like the world to win the world, which is like me saying, I'm going to become an alcoholic to help alcoholics, I'm going to become obese to help people who are overweight. No, it, what you have to do is live the other way, mm-hmm. and then with compassion and grace, reach out to people and say, hey, let me tell you about the God who changed my life, and he can change your life, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, the, the whole thing, obedience, it, it's through the New Testament, called sure. to obedience, called to sanctification, called to holiness. And this is a beautiful thing. Yep. This is a wonderful thing. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. The laws are written on our hearts. It becomes our nature to do what's right, to love God, to love our neighbor. Well, make, Michael, what commandments... happens
0: in a family if the children refuse to obey their parents? There's chaos, isn't there? There's, there's no chaos, peace. And... There's chaos. Uh,
2: and those kids end up hurting themselves badly. Absolutely.
0: Okay. Now, you have a chapter called The Effects of a Compromised Gospel. In my book, Seduction of the Saints, uh, I have a, a chapter in there concerning this. And uh, I indicate that the road to hell begins at Compromise Corner. So how is it that we have compromised the gospel? i like some of the things that you laid out there so succinctly. uh, Give us a rundown on what that has looked like in terms of our congregations, the focus, and so on.
2: Yeah, so basically, and I break this down in the chapter to several different Gospels or pseudo-Gospels. That's Uh, what I'm talking about. Yeah, to to focus first on the larger question of a compromised Gospel, the American mentality in many of our churches is, this is who I am, this is how I feel, and God is here to please me. The biblical mentality, this is who God is, this is how He feels, and we are here to please Him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Decades ago... Over 50 years ago, A.W. Tozer wrote a marvelous little essay on the old cross and the new. And he said, whereas the old cross kills the sinner, the new cross redirects the sinner. And I thought, the contemporary cross of today goes even even further. It empowers the sinner. To sin. Jesus comes to make me into a bigger and better me. Mm. And the whole goal of the gospel is for me to fulfill my dreams, my desires, my goals, What happens with a message like that when persecution comes for the faith? What happens with a message like that when you're called to take up the cross? You know, we have variations on it. You know what I call the pep talk gospel. I remember putting on Christian TV one day and seeing a guy preaching, but I didn't know if he was a preacher or a real estate salesman or a positivity (laughs) coach. I couldn't quite tell because it sounded like so much like the other guys.
0: Well, you're not talking about Dr. Smiley, are you? Uh, We'll be back after this. Stay tuned, friends. (laughs) Michael Brown talking with us concerning his book, Why So Many Christians Have Left the Faith. $20 on our website. It's going to encourage your heart, help you to see the dynamics of what is taking place, and help us to avoid the pitfall, because if it can happen to others, it can happen to you. We'll be right back.
1: Have you ever considered what the early church was like?
0: There's so many songs that keep coming into my mind. Uh, Michael, as we're chatting here today, one of those is, I gotta be me. I gotta be me. What else can I be but what I am? (laughs) Or, or, uh, I did it my way. Reminds me of an ad coming out on television these days to avoid colon cancer. Don't. Look for the best way to identify the cancer. Find an easy way to pretend that you're trying to find it out and do it your way.
2: <laughs> you know I was, I was talking with uh, with friends last night and you have some left Michael? Oh yeah <laughs> oh, good <laughs> of, of, of forty yeah the good friends I have are great friends and and this couple Nancy and I've been friends with them literally for forty years and they're close co-workers and part mm, of our ministry wonderful. team. And the husband was saying that he saw a commercial. Uh, it was for a, a pill to take uh, medicine if you have type two diabetes. Uh-huh. Now we know that type two diabetes can be completely reversed with with totally healthy living. Mm-hmm. That that you can see a reversal. Uh, obviously, certain things may be deteriorated in your body. You can't get back if it's you know well advanced. But it can be completely reversed off insulin. Everything to a radical healthy lifestyle. That's mm-hmm. that's known. And he was mentioning that everybody in the commercial, and it's just so wonderful, and this lady singing a song, and getting new clothes, and new hairdo, because of this new pill, everybody was obese, nope. right? Now, this is not to throw stones, people over it. Okay, I know the ad before. you're
0: talking about, it and right. it's oh, okay. so <laughs> joyous.
2: Right. And, and then, of course, the side effects could include, you know, I, I don't know what they are, but you know,
0: depression, death, suicide,
2: yeah. death, you know, if you believe that. But, I and, and, and Take a pill, and, and all your troubles will go away. Yeah. Of course, that's not reality. It's not real life. And I'm not, I, I, the last thing I'm doing is criticizing people who struggle or have diabetes sure. or overweight. That's not the point. It's to say, we did the same thing in the church.
0: Yeah, we exactly. To take a pill. Okay, and, and, so... And
2: the, pill, the pill has all kinds of side effects.
0: Well, that's where the so-called health and wealth gospel came in. The problem yes. was not with the message of God is a healer. The problem was not with the message that God wants to prosper you. The question, the problem was that it became marketed through the word faith movement to the flesh. And of the flesh, it reaped corruption. That's where the criticism came, so that one of the premier voices in the church writing books uh, found his face on the front page of the Wall Street Journal with this headline, A prophet for prophets. Yeah. Mm. That's... That was the problem.
2: There's a revelation in Scripture that's very clear about God being the healer. For sure. I mean, it's laid out clearly in in the Bible. And there are principles. Just go through the book of Proverbs. Mm -hmm. That, you know, hard work, generosity, the blessing of God do bring financial provision and that we're called to be generous and help others. Let's reiterate in the New Testament. But when the gospel i hear is about me mm. now this translates into god is here and that's one of the false messages we deal with the health and wealth gospel not that god doesn't heal and not that he doesn't bless but that this becomes the essence of the gospel
0: well that's Jesus the pep talk gospel isn't it that's yeah, the pep talk gospel yeah that's right and uh, you know when when uh, you and you alluded to this earlier how feelings now Have become the final arbiter of truth. In fact, uh, feelings have replaced the faith for many, many Christians today. The Lordship of feelings. Speak to that.
2: Yeah, well, I don't have grace to do this, meaning it's, it's against my flesh. It, meaning it calls me to take up the cross and deny myself. No, I don't, I don't think the Lord's in this, meaning. It's challenging to obey, and it's easier to go the way of the flesh and the way of the world and the way of the emotions. Mm. And the whole thing with the, the wrong emphases of a health and wealth message is you'll never get sick, you'll never have a problem, you'll never have financial difficulty. Any trouble that raises its head, you just rebuke it in Jesus' name. And in this world, Jesus said, in this world you'll have trouble. John sixteen thirty three. That's a reality. Uh, Many verses, you know, Paul in in Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas make clear that we must enter the kingdom of God through many tribulations in this world. There are going to be trials, there are going to be tests, there are going to be difficulties, there are going to be challenges. And if my faith is as shallow as if everything doesn't go well, then I don't follow the Lord anymore. Then I have to question whether that person really even knows the Lord. If my faith is as shallow as when the good feelings go away... I walk away. I have to question whether that person really knows the Lord.
0: We got to the place uh, several years ago. Uh, There was uh, such an emphasis on prayer. Uh, Back in the 1990s, we had solemn assemblies all over the country. I went to several of them. In fact, uh, you spoke at one in Washington, D.C., and I served you with a copy of the so-called Lawsuit. Uh, that is up I there. That. You remember that? <laughs> you were yeah, one. Richard
2: of th- Owen Roberts was there too, wasn't
0: he? Who?
2: Richard Owen Roberts. Yep.
0: Richard Owen, Owen Roberts, Roberts was there. Yep. I served I fifty that. of them there at that event, and two hundred and fifty uh, <clears throat> via express mail to leaders across the country. Well, uh, the the interesting thing about that is that uh, we have moved away from the. Uh, solemnity of the gospel, the sobriety of the gospel, to the celebrity gospel. And I remember, uh, and and I've been in congregations like this, uh, and I'm sure you've seen them, uh, one that we were in, all of a sudden the pastor changed everything. And he created an environment, blacked out all of the windows, blacked out the entire uh, uh, worship gathering center, and set up a stage that looked like American Bandstand. That was supposed to be the new worship center. What do you make of that?
2: So, I of course deal with the celebrity gospel in my book, and for sure, this idea of following Jesus makes you cool. Following Jesus is what the cool people do. Uh, just add him into your life, become cooler. I mean, that has nothing to do with the gospel, <laughs> and. and it, through much of church history and much of the world today, people would look at that and say, what are you talking about? Following Jesus has brought me reproach and hatred and rejection and misunderstanding. I am all for any number of expressions of worshiping the Lord that are not contrary to the Bible.
3: Mm-hmm. It
2: can be loud, it can be soft, it can be it can be it's stringed instruments, it can be drums, it can be electrical instruments, as long as the understanding is that we're going to worship the Lord.
0: Not worship our flesh while we're doing it, you mean?
2: We're going to to worship the Lord and bring you into the presence of God and not perform. Mm. We're not here to perform or to put on a show. Mm -hmm. We we want to do things with excellence, play well, sing well. But our whole purpose is we want to bring you into an encounter with God through worship, and we want you to be infused with divine truth and reality through the words that we sing. Well, how it looks, that's very secondary to me to the, to the quality of what is happening and the reality of what is happening. Mm-hmm. And as I've traveled around the world in many different cultures that are so foreign to me, and I, I don't get it at all, like, how could this be worship? But they're encounter- they're just, it's culturally different to me. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if the truth is proclaimed in the lyrics, or if they are grounding us in a way that we will come in right contact with God and through this can give him our praise our adoration and he comes and meets with us wonderful i embrace it unfortunately in many cases we've learned good musicians good singers good setup good talker you can grow a church i just don't know if you're actually growing god's church
0: yeah well you know one of the things that i remember and i i never attended the brownsville revival but i remember uh, mike uh, uh Stephen hill and he joined me here on this program shortly before he died He had a message that was very, very powerful, calling for righteousness and repentance. That was a legitimate message for revival. I remember uh, listening to a gal. In fact, I played it on this program a number of times uh, years ago. And it came out of the Brownsville revival. And here it it went like this. I'm coming. I'm coming. Running to the mercy seat. I'm coming, I'm running to the mercy seat. Isn't that the heart of what God is calling us to today? We need to come running to the mercy seat because we're dead bang guilty of offending a holy God.
2: Yeah, it's the old Augustus Topley, the Rock of Ages song A foul I to the fountain fly, wash me Savior or I die. That when people when lost people we saw it every night for years in the Brownsville Revival, lost people, sinners. People who were mocking God had no interest in God. People just caught up with being in the world. People who are religious hypocrites, you name it. One day they're indifferent, and the next day they're running to the altar, getting right with God. And 10, 20, 30 years later, they're burning bright for the Lord. It's because there were real conversions coming out of real conviction, yeah. as opposed to people just joining some
0: group. Well, there aren't many altars anymore. Uh, we don't believe in sacrifice, Uh we believe in the exaltation of self, and uh, of course that's why we have selfies, and that's why we have the me, me, me generation. All of these things are mitigating against the uh, the heart of the gospel, and uh, guiding us against uh, the very the very heart and soul of what God has for us. And then, of course, we have the article that came out in the Los Angeles Times a few years ago, where a pastor. Uh, an evangelical pastor was being interviewed by the Los Angeles Times. And he was asked, well, uh, do you do you believe in hell? And the pastor said, yes, I do. Well, the uh, reporter said, well, do you preach about it? And he said, no, I don't preach about it because, and this is what he said, hell isn't sexy anymore. What say you?
2: Oh, my. I I can't even imagine someone using those words, putting hell and sexy
0: that's exactly what he said by the way
2: in the same word Mm -hmm. uh, in the same sentence and even regardless of whether it's sexy trendy popular it's true it's Uh, true oh my well that that says it all
0: yeah it it does that's why i left it right here at the end uh because there is no idea uh, our idea of god is so completely revolutionized that God is our lackey. He's our Santa Claus. He's our homeboy. He's whatever I want him to be to do my will. And uh, it's just the reverse of what the Bible actually teaches. And so there is a falling away, a massive falling away. And we don't have to pretend that it's not there. It is there. Uh, whether this is, what stage this is in with regard to the Apostle Paul is talking about the great apostasy. It is happening. It's happening right before our eyes. So let's return to the words that came from Francis Schaeffer back in the 1970s. We've already iterated them here. And that is, uh, how should we then live? What do you say to folk here as we wrap up?
2: The whole purpose of our life is to love God and to make him known, to know him and make him known, to be disciples and make disciples. And we do that as moms and dads, as business people, as single people, as people living our lives in this world. What's our focus? Be disciples, make disciples. Know God, make God known. It makes sense in this world and it makes sense in eternity.
0: And we have to realize that we are ambassadors. If an ambassador does not do the will of the one the kingdom that sent him, what's going to happen to that ambassador, Mike? They'll be fired. He's going to be fired or recalled, isn't he? Yes. That's a dangerous thing. I don't know. My wife and I, as we speak, uh, get together every single morning around the word and prayer. We're talking about these things. Really? I mean, we're actually talking about these things. You ought to hear my wife. Sometimes I just sit back and I listen. And, uh, you know, there's a certain kind of preachment that comes, and uh, it's very edifying, very encouraging. I understand your wife is kind of like that.
2: Oh, exactly. Yeah, just her few words cut right to reality, black and white truth is like, there it is, there's no way around it. But thank God for wise like
0: that. Well, giving you a holy hug here, Mike, uh, you and I have done this little do-si-do you know, for many years now, and I trust that the Holy Spirit will uh, uh, guard our words and uh, uh, make sure that what we have said has uh, been received in the right heart, the right spirit. Why so many Christians have left the faith. That's the title of his book. $20 on our website saveus.org give us a call 1-800-SAVE-USA write to us at Save America Ministries uh, P.O. Box 70879 Richmond, Virginia 23255 running a check at $5 for poster to hand become a partner friends time is short time is short and pray for our friend Michael Brown he needs it just like I do we all do let's humble ourselves before the Lord